Father, we do, we long for you, your fame to increase across the whole world. Lord Jesus, we long for people to come to see you and your beauty and to be captivated by who you are. Holy Spirit, we long for you to, to speak to us and to engage us, and so we open ourselves up to your influence and ask for that. And drop all of our self-will, our self-reliance, our stubbornness, and our pride, and we just long to hear a word from you in our lives. And so we pray in the name of Jesus, as this community called 12th, amen. You may be seated. I wonder, am I, if, I guess I'm up here, I've got the mic, am I allowed to like give secret messages to my wife from up here, like to flash her hand signals or something? Just check your phone, that's all I have to say, so. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when you get up here and you're doing some worship stuff, and then you're like, oh, I didn't tell her or something, so. Uh, I may communicate secretly with some of you that way. You may, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll let you know if, if that's what we're going to do. Um, yeah, the Chiefs thing, I mean, that's all big in the air, pretty exciting, huh? that that's all going on. Uh, even more exciting because I think that definitely Jesus is close to coming back. We now know that for sure. Um, did, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, the Kansas City Chiefs winning the Super Bowl is a sign of the end times. There was a dude who had this prophecy, uh, Bob Jones. Bob, I had no idea you were in the prophecy, Bob. No, it's a different Bob Jones. Uh, some apost- ap- apostolic guy told, uh, had said that when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, you will know that revival is about to come. God is raising up His apostolic chiefs. So, uh, anyways, we'll know next week if, uh, if Jesus is coming soon or not, um, based upon the outcome of that. And I love that. When did they build the statue outside of Arrowhead of the angel? That's, Sam, were you a part of that? Yeah, I know, like fundraising or something for that. Okay. Um, last week I was going to end with a prayer and just didn't have the time. And so I decided that I wanted to start with that because we don't always have to end that way. And so would you stand with me? Because we've been talking about being on mission with God and God being on mission, longing that He devises ways to bring estranged people back to Himself. And that just requires that He does new things occasionally and that new things interrupt us and disrupt us and new things are always different. It's always a new wine that requires a new wineskin. It's always difficult. It'll be inconvenient, uncomfortable, and costly. And um, I, you know, I've got my own plans for things, and when they get disrupted, I mean, none of us likes that. This is one of my favorite prayers that I pray occasionally to help my heart to stay centered on Him and to tell Him that I want Him to disturb me if that's what He desires. So can we, can we pray this together? So disturb us, Lord, when we are well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life, having fallen in love with life we have ceased to dream of eternity. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land 
we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push us in the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. And God's people said, amen. And you may be seated. I talked last week that I love old things and I think old things anchor us to God's story. This is one of the things I love is I think through the history of the church there have been some very deep and amazing prayers that have been written that I use in my life. And a lot of times if I close a service with a prayer, I'm using a very ancient prayer that comes from, um, from the history of the church. So, um, so this week, we're going to do something, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, even the way I, I like present this today is a little bit different. If you're going to try to take notes, don't even try. I'm going to make this PowerPoint, we're going to make it available with all this stuff on it if it's something that you want. Um, but we're going to talk today some about the unchurched, because you know I was unchurched for a long time, um, grew up unchurched. And we're going to specifically, I want to talk, we're going to be talking about nuns and duns, and I want to make sure, I want to define that before we get into it. And just so you know, I'm not talking about dunes, the sand dunes, or I'm not talking about nuns like we had a bunch of those in Hayes. We had a whole convent of nuns. We would see them out and about around town. So I'm not talking about nuns and duns, but I'm talking about nuns and dunes, but nuns and duns. Nuns are those with no religious affiliation and who've never been in a church. And duns are those who once attended Christian worship services but have left the church and in their mind left Christianity. Um, As you know, I grew up a nun back when there probably were just hardly any nuns. My family didn't go to church. I didn't grow up in church. Um, Just last week, there was a young lady in here from another country who I met after the second service, who had grown up in a Western place where there were churches but had never been in church. And she said most of her friends had never been in a church. So that's um, the nuns and duns. You know, there are now currently 200 million unchurched people in America. That's 48% of our population is unchurched. Pretty big, right? Since 1991, U.S. population has grown by 15%. But during that same time period, the number of people who do not attend church has increased by 92%. It's almost doubled in the last 20 years. Um, And for hundreds of years, the church, and when you see in this church in quotation marks, it's because when people in our church, in our culture hear the word church, and I think many of us, we think of this, and in the Bible it is not this, it's the people of God. So... Um, that's why I do that. For hundreds of years, the church, God's people, was at the center of culture in America. But for the last 50 years, the church has been pushed to the fringe of culture. I think, there we go. Um, Over the last three decades, our influence has greatly waned as we've been pushed even more to the fringe of culture. We are now increasingly being viewed as being in opposition to our culture, and not just in opposition, but we're actually increasingly being viewed as being toxic to the culture. I could give you a lot of examples among that, especially among young people, how in their minds that we are toxic to our culture. We're part of the problem. Um, Moreover, our presence and voice in an increasing measure is no longer wanted in our culture. 
in days past when the church was more central, inviting people to church, to this building, was the norm, and many responded to that in days past. You know, my parents' generation, I think that was really, really common, and I think a lot of, I mean, most of them went, um, but I think that was just much more common at that time. Um, And this is why many churches worked to create church environments that unchurched people were coming to, were comfortable coming to. They worked really hard at creating church environments, like in here, that unchurched people were comfortable coming to. And that concept is really important. We're going to come back to that later. Worked really hard at creating churched environments that unchurched people were comfortable coming to. This was the seeker-friendly church movement, and there was nothing inherently wrong with that. That started kind of in the late 70s, early 80s is when it really started picking up steam, Um, the seeker-friendly movement. But um, I'm just here to, to tell you, I think you probably know this, but I want to make sure we all are clear that those days are gone. An increasing number of people in our culture have zero interest in coming into our church space. A lot of people who live in Emporia, Kansas have zero interest in coming here. None. And here's why. Because of the nuns and duns. The number of nuns and duns is dramatically increasing um, it's been increasing kind of in a, like a, I don't know what the level, Brian, I probably should get Brian's help, I should have talked to him ahead of time. It was increasing at a slow level, but it's starting to become exponential. It's like in a multiplication phase in what's happening. Currently, 20% of our population are nuns right now. 20 years ago, that was 7%. 20 years ago, that was 7% who identified themselves that way. It's now 20%, um, almost tripled, a little more than doubled, but almost tripled. Of those aged 18 to 29, which would be my children's age, their generation, the last part of the millennial group, 25% are nuns. So of my children's generation, 25%. Astonishingly, 52% of Gen Z are nuns. These are children born 2,000 or later, who are now like maybe freshmen in college and younger. 52% of them have grown up in a home and they have never been in a church building. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? For the first time in the history of America, we have a post-Christian generation. We have never had a post-Christian generation. We now have it for the first time. For the first time, we have a generation which the majority have never been in a church space. And nuns have a negative opinion of the church and are very suspicious of it. Our church space is threatening to them, and that's why they are unwilling to darken our door. Many in our culture, especially nuns, will no longer respond to an invitation into this space. They don't want to come. They're threatened by it. They're afraid of it. They just have, there's a lot of baggage with all of that. So we won't reach nuns and duns if our sole focus, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with inviting, there's nothing wrong with that, but if our sole focus is getting them into this space, we will not reach the nuns and duns. We won't reach them. The sole focus on creating church environments that unchurched people are comfortable coming to, it's no longer sufficient. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um but it's not sufficient anymore. It was sufficient in the 80s. 
sufficient in the 90s, but that's changing. It's not sufficient anymore. And if we continue to primarily huddle in our own church space, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, fewer people will encounter us and will encounter in Jesus in a redemptive way. If our Christian life is primarily about what happens in these four walls, fewer people are going to encounter us and Jesus in a redemptive way. And you guys, maybe you don't know the statistics. I've talked some about this, but I think we would all agree our world has radically changed. Have you, do you not agree in the last 20 years that our world has not radically changed at this dizzying rate of change? And that old ministry model, um, model's, model's no longer working. A lot of that, the, the attraction, the invite, it's no longer working. It works with some. I'm not saying you get rid of it, but it's no longer working for a huge number and I really feel like we're in need of a paradigm shift pretty badly. Um, Kodak was the number one photography company in the world for years and years. I mean, a lot of us grew up with this, right? You guys, how many of you recognize that logo? You're like, that logo, I know that logo. I know what that thing is. I know that box, and I know that little thing, what that is. You know, how many of you grew up with that? You saw that. Your dad had those, right? Okay. There's a whole generation that doesn't have that, hasn't seen that. That would be a foreign, if you threw them one of those canisters, that would be a foreign thing. They'd be like, what's in that thing? Like 400 Kodiak, Kodiak bears, or I don't know what's, what's in there. Um, but Kodiak, the Kodak, Kodak went bankrupt a few years back. And the reason they did is they were sabotaged by their refusal to see what was changing in culture and their refusal, refusal to adapt and instead of seeing themselves as a photography business, they stayed ingrained in an old model of seeing themselves as a film business. Does that make sense? Physical film. And they wouldn't get out of that model. Um, in fact, there was a discussion one day among their executives. What are we about? Because they were losing a lot of market share. And they're like, and a guy said, are we about photography or film? And they said, we've always been about film and we're always going to be about film. And so they stuck with film. And what happened is, is Facebook saw that it, film wasn't the future, but photography was, and they bought Instagram. And Apple with the iPhone knew the photography, it was about photography, not film. And it ended up Kodak got, went bankrupt. And so um, there are times that you need to have a paradigm shift. I think, to stay relevant and working well. Um, we saw this in Scotland. Carissa and I went, I think that was 2017. She was coming back from her year in Albania or her nine months there and wanted to stop and visit the UK and wanted somebody to join her. And Ariel and Karen were in school and Pat was teaching and I was in ministry and we don't do anything, you know, except Sundays. So I had a week. <laughs> so I went and joined her. And we were actually there on Easter Sunday. And so I was looking up because I wanted to go to a church on Easter Sunday. And we were in Edinburgh and found the main church, the largest church in Scotland. It's called Carubers Christian Center. It's on the main drag there. And so we went to it. And I was expecting a lot more people than I saw. There were only a couple of hundred. This is the largest church in Scotland. Started talking to somebody there, a fellow who is an evangelist, and I said, I thought like there were going to be more here, people here, especially on Easter. And he told me that um, currently in Scotland, only 1.3% of the population ever go to church, period, even one day. 1.3%. This is where, uh, what's the guy's name? John Knox. The Reformation hit the UK and Scotland. 
Presbyterianism, all of that. It was a place of great revival, and it's down to 1.3%. Isn't that crazy? It's like that all over Europe. That's almost Japanese percentages. That's, and if we're not careful, I think we can go here. I think the church in Europe, that's what they did, is they didn't realize they needed to shift paradigms, and so they ended up losing their culture totally. And we don't want to end up that way. So the question, I think, is what do we do with these times? What do we do with these times? I can't do a sermon without uh, Frodo and Gandalf and Lord of the Rings, right? Somebody sent me, by the way, a thing on how to, pastors who are addicted to Lord of the Rings, how to get them unaddicted, like some, some program you send them to for a month. But anyways, Frodo at one time said, I wish it need not happen, have happened in my time. You know, why couldn't I live in the 60s or 70s when just people would come to church at an invite, right? And Gandalf said, so do all who live to see such times. But that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. So we don't sit around and cry in our spilt milk, right? What's the point of that? It's we have to decide what to do with our time. In the Bible, 1 Chronicles 12.32, I referenced this, I think, last week, um, one of my favorite passages about how we need to live in our culture. The men of Issachar, they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. And we need to model ourselves after them. We need to know our times and we need to know what to do. So I want to present to me two core things that are biblical, that have always been in the biblical, uh, biblical principles, key principles on God reaching the lost, on us reaching the lost, that I think we need to get back to and it's easy to get away from, and that is presence and blessing. Presence and blessing. And I'm going to read through these passages. In John 1, we see God living this concept of presence so deeply in Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. The Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling, where? Among us. We've seen His glory, we've seen His fame, we've seen His beauty, the beauty of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. When we did the story of Christmas, the nine words, Matthew 1, to 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Presence. That's how God came to us, is, is to be present. Jane, Justin Whitmill, Whitmill Early, a book Steve and I just finished reading, I, I loved this when I read it. Ken Myers argues that the kind of secularism, you know, these nuns and duns we experience, that we experience in America today, it's not a conclusion, but it's a mood. This is an incredibly important observation. If secularism is not a conclusion but a mood, we cannot disrupt it with an argument. We must disrupt it with a presence. Mark Buchanan, most of our evangelism consists of trying to get people into church. Jesus' standing invitation is not to come to church but to enter the kingdom. I suggest inviting people into the kingdom, which is where you come in and where I come in. You likely know a person or two who's not ready to come into your church, but they're already brushing up against the kingdom. Maybe God put you beside them to help them find the king. 
And David Augsburger said this, pretty simple, witness is withness, presence, withness. And then blessing. Not only did God choose presence in reaching us, but He also chose blessing. We see it all in the Bible. But in John 1.16, again of Jesus, from the fullness of His grace, we have received one blessing after another. He is a God not just of presence, but of blessing. In Genesis 12.2 and 3, the Lord said to Abraham, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He is a God who's on a mission to bless all. In Jeremiah 29, which was written to people living in exile, and I really feel like that we as God's people are living in our own culture as exiles now. We are exiles, so this to me is written to us. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Be a blessing. In Jonah, the Lord said to him, should I not have concern for that city, the great city? Should I not love the great city. So we are called not to be terminals of God's goodness, grace, and blessing, but we're called to be channels of His goodness, His grace, and His blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. So these two things, presence and blessing, I think are the biblical answer to our conundrum of so many nuns and duns, this increasing number of of unchurched. It's seeking to incarnate his kingdom and incarnate him and his kingdom to people around us. And it's seeking to be channels of God's blessing to people around us. This emphasis on presence and blessing, there's a word for it if you were to read. It's called the missional model. Missional meaning to be on mission. Um, it's, it's this call, this sense that we have got to be present with people where they are and we have to bless people where they are. Uh, John Wesley, I find this so fascinating. When um, George Whitfield began what essentially was the Great Awakening, I mean, God began it, but used George Whitfield. Um, George Whitfield started leaving churches and preaching out in the rural areas where people were. And here's what John Wesley said I could scarcely reconcile myself at first to this strange way of preaching in the fields. Can you believe that? Preaching in the fields. Who would dare do that? Of which Whitfield set me an example on Sunday, and he did it on a Sunday. I should have thought the saving of souls almost a sin if it had not been done in a church. Thank goodness for Wesley. He wrote that in his journal. He ended up seeing the impact George was having, and he began to become an itinerant preacher, and he would travel and started taking the good news out of the building to where people were, and that was all part of that great awakening. Craig Groeschel says, if you want what you've always had, then do what you've always done. If you want what you've never had, then you have to do what you've never done. That's pretty, makes sense. Doesn't that make sense? I also like that he says this, to reach the people no one else is reaching, you have to do things no one else is doing. To reach the people nobody's reaching, to reach the nuns and duns in our culture, especially that Gen Z, I mean everybody, but that Gen Z especially. 
we have to start doing things that nobody else is doing. So biblically, we would all agree the church has never been about a building, but about the community of God's people. Would we not agree with that? It's not about a building, but about us as people. So we have to now, I believe for years, churches were creating churched environments that non-church people were comfortable coming to. I think we now have to create non-church environments that unchurched people are comfortable coming to. Not that we get rid of the other, but I think we've got to start doing this. Creating non-church environments that unchurched people are comfortable coming to. Non-church environments where they can encounter God's people, us, outside of our space, outside of here. Where, they, where environments where we can bless the people of the city. Where we can seek the peace and the prosperity of our city. And we call this kind of non-church space green space. I saw some of you got the memo to wear green today. I'm impressed with the amount of green I saw. Two of our worship people had green on today. Uh, my son-in-law forgot the memo, but he does have green on his shirt that's under his shirt. Uh, we were just teasing about that earlier. Um, so here's what I, with this green space, I want you to think of this way. Yellow space is space where Christians feel comfortable. It's their preferred space, like a church building. We're comfortable here. I mean, this is where we are, right, this morning? Blue space is space where non-Christians feel comfortable. It's their preferred space. Don't, don't put too much into this, okay, like a bar. I had no idea. I'm like, what do I think of? And so I just came up with that. But don't, don't, just don't get too much into that. But if blue space is where they feel comfortable, okay, where I felt comfortable before I knew God. So people who follow Jesus and people who don't, the nuns and duns, we tend to inhabit two separate spaces, and this trend towards inhabiting two totally separate spaces is only increasing. The divide is becoming greater. And much too often, the two groups rarely intersect in any meaningful way. I mean, we work and brush shoulders with people, but really rarely intersect, intersect in a meaningful way. So green space refers, refers to activities or places in which to relationally connect with people who do not know God. A green space is a middle ground where neither you nor your lost friend is on their home turf. It's a neutral, non-threatening space to both Christians and non-Christians where both can feel comfortable. A green space is space in which to meet with and encounter people who don't know God. A space to intentionally cultivate presence. A space to intentionally develop redemptive relationships. A space to intentionally bless people as well as the community. I want to look at this another way in terms of third space. I don't know if you guys have read much about third space, but a third, play, third place is a place where people can connect with others outside of their first place, home, and their second place, which is work. We've had a major loss of third places in our culture. Um, an example, I know Gary does a lot with bowling, and there's, a, there's been a book written called Bowling Alone that the numbers of people who bowl in groups has radically dropped. And a lot of times if you go to a bowling alley, there'll be one or, like people are bowling alone. Like the, the sense of third place has become missing in our culture. And that's why there's a growing loss of community in our culture as well as an increasing sense of isolation. It is our intent that this green space, which I'm going to show you in a minute, will become just such a third place. A space where we can intentionally interact with people and build relational bridges that can bear the full weight of the gospel. Again, we would all agree, I think, our world is radically changed and that old ministry models 
I think, are no longer working totally. Still, there's, they work. There's, again, there's nothing wrong with inviting a person, but we've, there's, we've got to adapt to that. And I really believe we've reached a tipping point where we're in need of some kind of a paradigm shift. I'm convinced that. I have been for quite a long time. And I believe that this strategy of green space is part of that new paradigm. So I want to tell you my story. Um, walkers, where are the walkers? I know they're here somewhere. Come on up. I want you guys to grab these two chairs here. I'm going to make space for you. So you know, I grew up a nun, became a follower of Jesus, and ended up feeling a call of God to get in ministry. And then when I was at Fort Hayes State, just seeing all the, the lost people there, I got a passion for that and ended up going to seminary in Virginia um, to prepare for ministry. And while I was there, um, I put this in the wrong order. While I was there my first year, this is 1986. That's a long time ago. Do you know that? How many of you were not born in 1986? I'm really curious. Wow. I feel so old right now. You do too? Man. Where's the gen? We need to get some Gen Z up here for this. So it's my first year in seminary, and a guy shows up. His name is Wes Hurd. And he was there. This is all part of my story. He was there looking for somebody in the seminary who would come work for him in Eugene, Oregon, because he had started something called the McKinsey Center. And the purpose of it, there were like four or five colleges there, and the purpose was to reach college students who didn't know him, and I totally got that because, I mean, that's kind of where I came from. And this was the place that he was doing, and so he had a brochure and talked, and it ended up only like, only one person went and talked to him. Guess who that was? That was me. And when I talked to him, it like, something in my heart like flamed up. I'm like, that's, that's what I needed I needed a third space because I was uninterested in church. If somebody had created something like that in Hayes, who knows, that may have drawn me in earlier. And he told me while we were there, he said, there's actually in Charlottesville, Virginia, Drew Trotter has started a place. It had kind of a whack name, the Center for Christian Study, but for back then it was okay. But it was the same thing. Where people could go at the University of Virginia, it was this green space. And they had this huge ministry. And we got to go there and talk with them and see it. And the impact they were having on non-Christian students at UVA was really huge. And what that did is that planted this seed and put this fire in my heart, God did, of like, this, is, this has got to be, this has got to be part of what we do to reach people like me. So came to Emporia, Kansas, and I don't know, 10 years in, 11 years in, Tom Reese came, moved here, went to Flint Hills Trish Christian Church. We became good friends, and God had put on his heart to start a green space in Emporia for the college students. So he started the Interbean 25 years ago that was here, in, here in, in Emporia. I met a lot of the internationals. That's where we would meet because it was such this amazing, this amazing neutral, non-threatening space that we would meet. And that only more, even me working with him and daily being around that, I'm like, we don't just need that for ESU. Emporia needs an inner bean. Emporia needs a McKinsey Center. Emporia needs a green space. And that's been in my heart for so long. 1986, that was planted in my heart. How long ago? Pat, well, we were married in 86. So, I mean, that's our, that's like our whole marriage, pretty much. That's a long time God had put that on my heart. And so when I... When I was here doing candidating for the church, um, I met with a bunch of people to ask questions. Then we had one Saturday we did, uh, we met over in this building over here, our old sanctuary. 
And that was the one where the most people came and they recorded it. I don't know if it was video or just audio. And people were asking questions and if people couldn't be there, they could hear what I said so they could determine if I was the person they were going to hire or not. And somebody asked a question. I don't remember who, but they said, Shirley, you, you have a dream. And I said, yes, I do have a dream. Would you please quit calling me Shirley, though? Um, <laughs> sorry, that comes from a movie back in the 70s. She said, Shirley, you have a dream. Uh... You have a dream of something like new God may want to do if you were to become pastor. And I said, well, yeah, there actually is. And I shared about this, just a few minutes, just the general concept. And so you guys were not there, right, at that thing. Yeah, but you guys got online to listen or to watch or something, right? Okay. So they gave me a phone call. Now, in my mind... If God let me give leadership to this place, in my mind, that was the thing 10, 12 years out. I had looked at a space many years ago in Emporia that a business went out, and it was like 150000 I'm like, man, like that's a lot of money just to buy something. And so in my mind, it would be a while before God could bring this to fruition, this thing he put on my heart. So I want to back up a little bit. You guys, I mean, you do the Gazette, right? Um, yes. Yes. We're just going to do yes and no questions. That's all I want. Just yes, no, yes, no. I mean, Chris, that's been your whole life. You've grown up with that. Yes. Grew up uh, in Emporia. Uh, we're in a fourth generation, so I'm the fourth generation. And so, um, very young age, working at the paper on. So, yeah. yes. And so, one, I remember one time the homeschool group went and saw the press room where, I mean, the printing press was, and we got to watch it, and that was really so cool. But eventually that thing, just because of the business model changing, how long ago was it that you guys had to remove the printing press? Uh, we stopped printing, what, maybe 15 years ago? And uh, now we print out, uh, not in town, and we uh, removed the press and really have just had a, a space that we haven't known what to do with. Yeah, has been sitting there. Tom Brokaw was here just before you guys clo- like got rid of that, right? Yeah, the, like last the last day, day we stopped printing, they, he came in. Of operation. But there you can see the printing press in there. You can kind of see it back there. Um, it's in this side of the, the Gazette building. So you guys lost that. That was kind of in some ways the heart of the place. Not total, but in some sense that was really important. Absolutely. Yeah. It was fun to hear the press start up and roll. And uh, yeah, definitely, uh, uh, you know, we part of what we do every day. So... That's sat empty. Just what? Tell me a little bit. What? Tell us. What start? What happened inside of you guys with that thing being empty? I, I think we went on a journey to figure out what we wanted. We. Um, it's a great space. It's sort of a historic space. It's um, a lot of character to it that you probably don't see in a lot of buildings around. Um, and we really didn't know what we wanted to do. We did. Uh, sort of sublet to a, a business uh, and let them be in there, and that didn't really feel great to us. And we wanted, um, felt like we wanted uh, more of a community space and didn't know how to pull it together. And we, um, I mean, what we do is about community. I mean, we share the stories of the community every day and try to generate community by telling the community stories, and um, we've really felt like this was a place that the community 
could come, but it was really beyond our ability to program or yeah. generate right. and um, to get a lot of work. And it took, would take a lot of work to kind of get it usable. So, yeah. And Ashley, you even talked, then God even took you on a journey of like that being a place for the kingdom. Like, right. can you just say something briefly about that? Like, um, I don't think either of us felt, even when we had the business in that space for a few years, neither of us felt like it was the right fit. Like, I, we both feel like God was kind of in work and nudging us that this space is supposed to be used for something bigger and better and beyond just a revenue-making space. Um, you know, it's just, I don't know, do you have anything to add to that? I've, I feel like we just kind of had that little, both of us even separately, had had that nudging that it was just something, um, there was something special for that. And we weren't really sure what it was. And, you know, it kind of sat there for a long time vacant and we prayed about it and just nothing really kind of came together until the day that yeah. we listened to what you were, you know, sharing. And it was like kind of a light bulb went on. So and you a lot been, of waiting. For several years, you'd been having a longing for that to become a kingdom impact kind of thing, right? Absolutely. You know, I think there's not a lot of direction if you own a business, how really to utilize space or vacant space for community or, or thinking differently. And, um, and, you know, we really prayed of, you know, if we have unused space, what can we use it for? And, you know, we've, really seen it sort of start to fill up with food for students. We run that out of there. And um, and now seeing something like this is, is exciting to see your business uh, donate, really, to, to be able to grow or help serve. Yeah. And so you guys, I don't remember, you called me that night or the next day, might have been Sunday, and or, yeah, it was like really quick after. And... Took me out to Radius, which was awesome. <laughs> and, you know, had their, their stone-baked pizza or whatever, and then they walked me over there. And when I walked into that place, I was, I couldn't believe. How many of you have been in the place we're talking about? I'm just curious. When I walked in there, I couldn't believe this thing they had. And they're like, this is in alignment with what we think God is wanting this to do. And it was just such a cool experience for me. I mean, I left, and I'm, I'm taking pictures, and I'm texting Tom, and I'm like, Tom, because he's known. There have been a number of people who have known this, and I'm like, Tom, like, this is it. Here it is. God is doing something. Um, so I just think because of the, the thing that God had put in my heart back in 86, and then me seeing a green space and function in the inner being, and then this thing that happened with us, it just felt to me like we always need God to do a new thing among us, Right? And it really felt to me like this was a God thing. This was a new thing that God was doing, that this wasn't generated by me or generated by them, but it was this thing that God had put in my heart a long time ago that that building had been empty for that space for 15 years and how just he had worked in our hearts and then he brought us to this point. Isn't that really a cool story? I really felt like it was a God thing. Um, okay, I'm going to finish something up if that's okay. But sure. thanks for your time and being here. And just the journey that it's been. Can we, can we give them... Even as we talk this week, I love Chris and Ashley, their vision for how they want their business to be a place that makes a kingdom impact. I value so much um, that about them.
But I do, I really feel like that this is not something generated by us. I really feel like that God has been at work and this is a thing that he's generated. It's a new thing that he's doing. I want to tell you about Barefoot Ski Ranch. It's in Waco, Texas. It's one of the largest surfing places in the United States. Can you believe it's surfing in Texas? I'm talking about surfing, like, you know, you surf in the beach, in the ocean, that kind of surfing. For those from Kansas, I need to explain what surfing is. But it was built by American Wave Machines. It's the world's leading wave pool surf venue. I got this off their website. Surf venue, wave technology company, producing authentic surf experiences. Producing authentic surf experiences using the perfect swell wave. And here's, here's what it looks like. Check that out. It generates waves uh, that you can actually ride in Dallas, Texas. Um, these waves of a three-foot three wave every five minutes. That's perfect. They're a little bigger than that. That looks like about an eight-foot wave. Um, I show you that because there's a big difference between the perfect swell wave and a God wave. Is there not? If we took somebody who's a surfer and we said, hey, you can go to Dallas and ride the perfect swell wave generated by American wave machines, or you can go out to California and do a real wave, what do you think they're going to choose? Because there's a huge difference between a human-generated wave and a God-generated wave, right? Huge, huge difference. That is what people think is the largest wave in modern history. Look how huge that wave is. Um, we can sit in church and try to generate waves and movements of God on our own, human-generated waves, but I'm, I'm interested in writing a Garen wave that I create. What, if God's not in something, who wants to go there, right? Just because I maybe want to do a new thing, if God's not in it, what's the point? What I'm interested in and have always been interested in is I want to be a part of a wave, a movement of God. I want to be a part of a God wave, and you can't control when they come, and you don't know how big they're going to be, but when they come, you can kind of sense it, and it's like you ride that thing, or you get kind of destroyed by it, right? And I really believe, I, it feels like the way this has come together, not just that, but even other people heard me talk that day who contacted me, and they're like, I've dreamed of that. I don't know where we would do it, but if you ever do it, I'm in. And it just felt like that there was this, this movement of God among it. And that's what I've always been. I'm, I've been longing to be a part of a movement of God in Emporia. A movement of God, not only among us, but a movement among the nuns and duns of our community. And that's why the last few weeks I've been saying it has to be more than us and it has to be more than here. It has to be more than us and more than here. So I want to welcome you to, to the space if you haven't been there. That's what it looks like from the inside. Um, it's this back end of the, pre it's this side, this north side of the Gazette building. Um, that's what it looks like, protecting a dude from uh, who probably who didn't ask have permission to be in the picture, but this is some of how we've been kind of putting it together and designing it. Um, this press room will be a multi-use space where believers and non-believers can intentionally connect and where we can intentionally seek the peace and prosperity of the city. That's the purpose of it. A place where believers and non-believers can relationally connect, where we can intentionally seek the peace and prosperity of the city. We believe 12th Avenue Baptist Church has been blessed to be a blessing, and we want this space um, to be a space where we can meet people where they are, meet them where they are, because that's what God did for us. He's the God who came to be with us and who lived the, for the flourishing of all things through, of all through the restoration of all things and longs to restore lost people back to himself. So we actually want to invite you to the space today. Um, I'll show you in a minute, but this is kind of what it looks like. 
and we really would love you to come, where it's going to be open two times today. It, still, what I just said, like probably there's like a, what in the world would you do there? We really long for this thing here, that, this, it, that we could get at some point to maybe Monday to Friday, that this thing is open 10 to 5, and people can just come in and have coffee and, and work and hang out with people. Some of us do that already. I, meet, I met the McTaggart yesterday at Starbucks. We ran, run each other frequently there. But a place where you can go and you can hang out, where you can invite a friend who you know who won't come here, but will go hang out with you there, and you're just building and working on the relationship. A place where perhaps we can have some co-working go on. That's a whole topic, but it's a new thing that's really big that we can make that be a co-working space for people. Um, a place where we at 12 can have events like we had the Kansas City Chiefs-Denver's game here. I won't tell you how that resulted, but it was men meeting there and with the hope and the desire to invite men who won't come here but will go there to watch a football game. Um, the women had an event in here, the Pinterest. Again, the whole point is to do something that women would come to but to invite a woman who wouldn't come here because they don't want to be in this space. In fact, I know a story of one woman uh, who told me that her friend would never come to Pinterest here because it was in a church. But she came there. She went when it was there. So um, it's that idea of us getting out to where people will come to do things so that we can meet them. There's just so much. We want to make this space back here even available, say, if businesses in Emporio or people at ESU, um, a lot of them want to get away. It's a common thing. Get away to have business meetings out of your, pl your business place that they can come meet here. There's just a lot of different things that we're thinking of doing with this. Events in the community, when the, the little grind is here, they may end up doing their chapel this year in here. We're not sure. We've talk I've talked a little bit with Matt about it, but that's a possibility that when the dirty Kansas comes, this may be a place where somehow that can be a place people could gather. But... And talk about a wave and a movement of God. After we had started doing this and working towards this, guess what started getting built right across the street? A high-rise building for young people from millennials and Gen Z right across the street. Is that not an act of God, do you think? Is God not intentionally doing something there? So we want to invite you after service. It's going to be open 11 to 1.30. Come by. Or this evening, 5 to 6, we're encouraging small groups to go. Um, to meet there initially before they go. This is, uh, talk about a move of God. That street's been closed now for what, a month or two months? We thought it was going to open a week ago, and all week that place was not opening. This street here was blocked off. But yesterday, they finally opened this up, and you can now turn from 6th Avenue. If you're going, you can turn right into Merchant. But there is parking. This is where that new high-rise is going, so you can't park there. But there's lots of parking here, there's parking on the street, there's parking back here, and it's this end of, that's, that's the press room, is that, that north end of it, next to that concrete park. So we really want to invite you to come by. We'll have coffee, we have cookies and stuff, you know, if we can get their kids there, we can get you there, that's like, so candy, M&Ms and all that, but, but go, if you haven't been there, go see it. If you've been there, go see it again. Even another thing, one quick, before we worship, I was talking to uh, Steve. Um, Steve and Aaron Blocker one day morning we were having coffee with our discipleship group and a bunch of the track people kept coming in there they'd, they'd gone running for the morning they were coming in he'd say oh yeah those three girls like they're really good they're great girls and this and this and I remember one group of girls came in he said they're really sweet he said they're they're not um, they don't go to church or anything he said but they've been telling me that one annoying thing about Emporia is there's nowhere for a college student to go on a Friday or Saturday night except for a bar 
and they aren't comfortable there, and they're like, can't this town get anything that people could go to? Steve didn't even know. I said, Steve, I'll have to show you something. And so I ended up taking him over there. And so it may be a place like Friday, we're thinking Friday evenings, Saturday evenings, a place where people can go. Because after you eat at Applebee's, where do you go in Emporia? The movie theater or Walmart, right? That's it. <laughs> the coffee shops all close at 7 by the time you get done eating. Like it could be a Friday, Saturday evening thing. It could be the college students hang out. But just it seems like there's just so much, you know, we don't know what God's going to do with this. But we want to invite you to be there. Because we think God's going green in Emporia. Isn't that cool? I think God's going green in our midst. So we want to end with some worship. Thank you for, this has been kind of not a normal service, and I appreciate you guys hanging in there with me. I just, again, I love this song. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God for us. That it chases me down. He fought till I was found. He would have left the 99 for me. And that there was no shadow, he wouldn't light up. No mountain, he wouldn't climb up. Coming after me and after you. And there's no wall that he won't kick down. No lie, he won't tear down and coming after us. Because he has this overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. And we as his followers are to have this kind of love. And there should be no mountain we won't climb. No shadow we won't light. There's no wall that we won't kick down in getting the good news of a relationship with the living God of the universe and knowing Him to people who don't know Him. And that's what this is, is an opportunity for us to climb a mountain and maybe kick down a wall that God has given us this opportunity. So can we stand and can we worship? So every week we send you, right? So this week you're sent to the press room, to that green space. We'd love for you to go. I know I've got my ushers who are already in the back. They have cards, some postcards that Lisa created for us that are ways for you to think about that space and to be in prayer for it as the team that's working on it is thinking about how are we going to use it and developing it some more. So on the way out, you know, Mike, I see the guys already back there, but if we want to make sure that you get one of those, uh, it's those friendly faces back there. Do what? Oh, you even gave them out during the song. So you guys already have them. You guys are awesome. So, but if you didn't get one, grab one on the way out. We've got guys back there. And so you are sent to... Sixth and Merchant before you go home for lunch. So um, God's blessing on you guys this week.